little warning. Oh, sorry, I said a little warning, not good morning. But good morning, hey, good morning. Uh, and no, a little warning while the choir's making their way down, praise team's making their way down. Great job, by the way, that was awesome. Um, little warning, uh, at some point, probably about five minutes or so, maybe a Baptist five, so maybe like ten, um, something like that. Five minutes or so, it's going to seem like we're going to get in this car together, and it's going to seem like, man, um, we're taking, we're taking a, like a sharp, really sharp turn. And then for maybe the next 10 minutes or so, 15, it's going to seem like, man, we're on like two different car rides here. Like, are we going to get where we're going? But stick with me, because Lord willing, um, you know, we'll tie this thing together, we'll get where we're going, and we'll pack it up and get on out of here, right? So stick with me. That's my warning. Uh, last week, the first Sunday of February, um, our love month, as it were, pastor began our series with Love Jesus, right? Aptly entitled. I mean, we just did a, a stewardship series all through the month of January. You didn't even know we were doing stewardship. We tricked you. We named it first, right? And the whole gist was that you need to have your priorities right. Jesus needs to be first. So if we would have started Love Month with anything other than Love Jesus, like, I don't, that wouldn't have been good, right? We're like, hey, you need to put Jesus first. By the way, uh, love your Sunday school teachers, right? Like, you see what I'm saying? So aptly entitled, it was Love Jesus. And here's what we saw. We saw that um, while our obedience does not necessarily prove our love for Jesus, it certainly is an outlier of our love for him, right? And, and in that same way, our love for him certainly is an outlier of our faith in him. But can I tell you something here this morning? A faulty perception of who Jesus really is can affect our love for him. Right? A misunderstanding of who he really is and what it is that he's really done is going to affect our love for him. And that, in return, is going to have like a trickle-down effect, they would call it. And as we're in the middle of this consumer age of the church right now. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, the consumer age. Like, I'll only, I'll only sing to this kind of worship. Or I'll only, I'll only sit in this color pew. Or I, yeah, I'll bring my kids, but listen, you have to disciple them. Or I'll bring, listen, I'll bring my neighbor, but you got to lead them to the Lord, and you got to disciple them. And listen, if you do a good job, I'll pay you with my tithes. You understand what I'm saying? The consumer age, right? As we're stuck in the middle of this consumerism, the age where you see many profess to have a relationship with Jesus. Many confess or profess to be Christians, yet they've never led anybody else to the Lord. Where many, many profess to be Christians, to love the Lord, yet they've never come alongside of anybody else and taught them everything that they know about Jesus. This consumer age. And as we're stuck here, I can't just, I can't help but to think. It's because so many have a faulty perception of who Jesus really is and what he's really done. Right? When, when, when this happens, when your perception of who he is begins to align with the reality of who he is, 
right? And what he's done begins to realign with the, the reality of what he's really done. There's, there's a transformation that's going to take place inside of your heart. Whether you like it or not, it's going to happen. And you're going to begin to fall so in love with him, it's going to begin to spew out and you're going to begin to love others. Whether you wanted to or not, whether it was someone that you hated previously, you're going to begin to love them and you're going to share this love of this Jesus, right? The object of your affection, whether you want to or not. It's just going to spew out of you. And not because they need to trust Jesus or else. Do you understand? That's only half the story. That's only half the message, right? God sent his son, God sent Jesus because he loves me, right, to, to die for my sins. That's only half. That's only half the story. The real story is this. God sent his son, Jesus, to this earth to die for my sins so that I can be saved and in return exalt him, praise him, tell others about him so that they can be saved and in return they exalt him, praise him. And listen, if that rubs you the wrong way, this, oh, he did all this just to exalt himself, can I, can I just propose a question? Who would you rather he exalt? You? But listen, when your perception fits the reality of who he is, you're not going to be able to stop from, from loving him so much and loving others so much that, that you're not going to be able to help but tell them about the object of your affection. You won't be able to contain it. Listen, Peppy, I got I to gotta confess something to you this morning. I got to apologize. Peppy, can you raise your hand up just so everybody knows who we're talking about here? Good looking young man sitting up front. Many of you don't know, I, I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Peppy, right? His name is actually Chris. We just call him Peppy because for the most part, he's happy all the time. But I probably wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Chris. See, Chris comes alongside of me, and he just showed me the love of God. He showed me the love of Christ in, in this real practical way. You understand he displayed like how to live out Christianity in just the realest, most practical way for, for nothing, for no reason at all other than his love of Christ and his love of other people. His wife invited me in their home. They came alongside of me. God did the rest. But that's not really what I want to confess to you. <laughs> Peppy used to be a driller. I was his drill helper. We used to work together. We drilled the geothermal wells at Falkier High School when they were doing the renovation there. Truth be told, I outworked Peppy on that job. I smoked him. Listen, here's the deal, though. Peppy didn't know that I had a little extra source of motivation. Twice a day, there was something he had no clue about that motivated me, and I kept it a secret. See, to understand what I'm getting ready to explain, you need to understand the layout of the job, right? You got the school. They're remodeling the front of it. Nobody can go to the front, right? Here's the school. Down to the left is the lower parking lot. This is where we're drilling. There's a long drive that comes up alongside of this parking lot. It goes all the way, and then it comes around the back side of the parking lot. And this is where the parents would take their kids to drop them off for school and pick them up. So we're drilling down here. The parents have to drive around, right? And it wasn't long before we were on the job before I noticed that Denise and Gordon would drop off Matthew. Hmm. 
wasn't long before I began to notice that sometimes, sometimes they would send Megan to pick him up or drop him off. Hey, girl. So listen, you got to understand, I was a younger man, singlish in nature at the time. Singlish. So listen, twice a day, I would make sure that I was out of the truck doing a little bit of work, mostly flexing, a little bit of working, right? Like, oh, got to really, listen, truth be told, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, right? I wasn't that much harder of a worker than Peppy, right? I, didn't, I had no clue what I was doing. I just knew that twice a day there was a chance that I could be out there flexing for Megan, so I got my butt out of the truck. You understand? I had a little extra motivation. There was something extra. Now, listen. Wasn't long, started helping out in the youth group here, where wouldn't you know it, Megan also helped out in the youth group here. Now, I wanted to spend a little bit of time with her without actually asking her out on a date, right? I was trying to test the waters. You want to jump in the hostile waters, get bit by something, right? So I was trying to dip my toe in the water. I want to see the temperature, if you will. So I asked her to come on visitation with me. We was going to go visit some teens. She shot me down, straight up. She was like, no, absolutely not. She gave me some bogus excuse, right? It was like, mm-mm, nope. Bogus excuse, heartbreak. I was crushed. But I tricked her. It wasn't long. I tricked her. Actually, truth be told, I solicited help from her mom. I went to her mom, and I said, listen, I'm trying to make some visits to some teenagers, um, right? But, like, it'd be cool if Megan came, because then I could visit the teenage girls, and it wouldn't be so weird, you know? So I played it cool, and I waited, and then, like, the next week, I said, hey, you can come out on visitation with me this week, right? But here's mom in the background. She's like, oh, you should go. You should go. <laughs> mom pushed her. They was trying to get rid of you. I don't know. I don't know. Right? Listen, he pushed her. Oh, and I got her. I tricked her. I got her. Right, I got her. She came. We spent some time together, and it was, it was good. And then I asked her out on, like, a real, actual date. All right, and as we started to spend more and more time together, suddenly our perceptions, right, because I merely perceived at Falkier High School that she was hot. That was all I knew of her, right? She is nice to look at. But as we begin to spend more and more time together, we go out on a few dates, Right? We're helping, we're serving the Lord together. Suddenly, our perceptions of each other begin to align with the reality. Do you understand? And it wasn't long before, like, everybody knows, right? It's spewing out of me, right? Like, I, things are different. I look different. I'm dressing different. I'm talking different, right? I'm spending all of the money that I've earned on these extravagant dates, the TGI Fridays, right? Like, like <laughs> We didn't have no money. So listen, it wasn't long before everybody knew it, right? And then suddenly, Peppy knew about the object of my affection. I couldn't hold it in no matter what I did. Everybody knew. When our perceptions of each other begin to align with the reality of who we are, of who we were, when that began to fall in line, our infatuation begin to grow into a real love for each other. And it was impossible to contain. Matthew 26, verse 14. says, Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest. 
And he said unto them, what will you give me? And I will deliver him unto you, him being Jesus. And they coveted with him for 30 pieces of silver. And from that time, he saw the opportunity to betray him. Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Does anybody know how much 30 pieces of silver is? I'll give you some help. It's probably not going to help, but I'll give you a hint. Their weight standards, by their standards of weight, a piece of silver was equal to, to a shekel. I didn't think it was going to help. The metric equivalent of one shekel is 11.5 grams. 11 and a half grams would have been one shekel. So, 11 and a half times 30, because there was 30 pieces, gives us 345 grams. It's 28 grams in an ounce. So 345 divided by 28. Follow me here. Divided by 28. I did it all on a calculator. Don't feel like you need to keep up in your mind. Right? It gives us 12 and a half. As of Wednesday, the price per ounce of silver in the U.S. as of Wednesday was $17.71. So 1771 times 12 and a half, $221.37. Judas sold out the Savior of the world for $221. But due to inflation, it's pretty unfair probably to leave it at that amount. See, today, $221 really won't get you that much. But if you were to keep reading in the book of Matthew, you see that Judas, like, after Jesus is arrested, he's stricken with guilt, right? And he walks back into the chief priest's Right, but there's like a zero exchange policy on the bad decision he's made. He's stricken with guilt and he takes the 30 pieces of silver and he throws it down at their feet. And we read that Judas leaves and he goes and he hangs himself in a field on a tree. If you were to continue reading, the priests take the money that he threw down at their feet, that same exact 30 pieces. And they bought the same field where he hung himself with that 200 and $21. So I say that to say $221 back then would get you a field. It was a little more money than it is now. So you would consider inflation, right? We, we know that 30 pieces of silver was approximately the equivalent of 120 days wages in their time. You would take the the median income, right, from the last quarter of 2019, the weekly median income wage per week was $936 for a 40-hour work week. It's about $182 a day, roughly, times that by 120. It gives us $22,464, $22,500. Judas sold out the Savior of the world for a crappy Hyundai. But listen, it was Judas's perception, his false perception of Jesus that allowed him to sell out the Savior of the world. Matthew 27, starting in verse 3, then Judas, which had betrayed him when he saw that he was condemned, he repented himself and he bought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders saying, I have sinned in that I betrayed innocent blood. And they said, what is that to us? See out of that. Verse 5 tells us he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and he departed and he hanged himself. Listen, isn't, even in his, his grief, 
after seeing Jesus condemned, Judas's perception was merely that he was innocent, not that he was the Messiah, not that he was the prophesied one, not that he was going to restore the nation of Israel, not that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, not that he was the Son of God, merely that he was innocent. His perception of Jesus was incorrect. But here's the funny thing about perception. Perception doesn't determine reality. You know what I'm saying? A whole lot of people may perceive a whole lot of things to be one way, when in fact they may or may not be that way, right? A whole lot of people may perceive a whole lot of things about you, but you know who you are. Listen, I am a 12-time felon. Because of that, a whole lot of people may perceive that I am a bad person. But I know that I am a blood-bought child of God. Do you understand? I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. That's been paid for. I know who I am. Their perception doesn't determine the reality. Perception does, in fact, not determine reality. What Judas says gives us a look at how he perceived Jesus. But what he doesn't say tells us even more. Do you understand? What he doesn't, what doesn't come out of his mouth tells us even more about how he perceived Jesus. Not one time did he say, listen, I've made a mistake. I've betrayed the Messiah. I've betrayed the Son of God. I've betrayed the Savior of the world. Not one time does he say that. But in reality, Judas wasn't the only one who had a little silence issue. Or even a perception issue. Over and over again throughout the scriptures, right? People constantly have trouble perceiving Jesus correctly. Perceiving the things that he is teaching correctly, right? Matthew um, 16. If you were starting verse 1, it says, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, tempting him, and desired that he would show them a sign from heaven. Verse 2 says, He answered, and he said unto them, When it is evening, ye say that it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather for today because the sky is red and lowering. Oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but ye can't discern the signs of the times. Verse 4 tells us a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and there shall be no sign given unto it. But the sign of the prophet Jonas, and he left them and he departed. You understand the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they couldn't, they couldn't discern him, they couldn't perceive him, they couldn't understand him, right? But their perception of who he was was far from the reality. They come to him and said, can you give me a sign? Give us a sign. Like somehow the onus is on Jesus to prove his authority to them. Look, he is who he is, whether you believe it or not. He is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, whether you trust him as such, whether you perceive him to be, he is, whether you believe it or not. But they had more faith in their perceptions than they did the reality. Oh, you seek a sign? And he walks away. He goes back to his disciples. Verse 5 tells us, when he was with his disciples, they came to the other side. Right? They had forgotten to take bread. Verse 6, then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, Is it because we have forgotten to take bread? 
which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye amongst yourselves? Because ye have bought no bread? He said, do you not yet understand, neither remember the, the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the, the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many you took up then? See, the disciples couldn't discern what he was teaching. Right? He tells them, beware of the leaven of the, of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And, and what? They start thinking amongst themselves, is this, is this because we've forgotten to pack some lunches? Listen, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. Right? And Jesus responds, he says, you still don't get it? With five loaves, I fed 5,000. How many baskets did you take up? With seven loaves, we fed 4,000. How many did you take up then? It's not about the bread. How could you not get it? In verse 13, when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea and Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? Right? In reality, Jesus has spent probably three, three, maybe about three years. All of his time for three years with these guys. And they're still having trouble discerning him. Right? They still don't understand him. I mean, the, the religious people don't get him. His best friends, the one he's been pouring into for the last three years, they don't understand him. They're having trouble perceiving the reality correctly. And he asked them, who do men say that I am? And in verse 14, they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then he asked them, but who do you Say that I am. Who do you, the ones that know me, the ones who have spent all the time with me, the ones that I have poured into over and over, the ones that I have invested in. You saw me turn water into wine. You saw me cleanse the leper. I healed your mother-in-law. I picked you up when you were drowning. You saw me cast out demons. I healed the lame. You saw the woman with the blood issue. She touched just the hem of my garment and she was made whole. You saw it. Who do you say that I am? Surely you have to know the answer. Now, most of the time when this passage is preached, we like to focus on Peter's response. Listen, Peter was only one of 12. He actually came up with something to say. The other 11 were dead silent. It's the silence of the 11 that screams louder than Peter's answer. How could you be silent? Didn't you eat my fish? Didn't you eat my bread? I picked you up when you were drowning. You saw me make the lame walk. Didn't I calm the storms for you when you cried out? How could you be silent? Now we serve a Jesus where confession is necessary for salvation. Romans 10 verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Verse 10 goes on to say, for with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You don't like that one? Matthew 10, verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him I will confess before my Father which is in heaven. Verse 33. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him I shall also deny before my Father which is in heaven. We serve a Jesus where confession is necessary for salvation. But a lot of people go to church. 
A lot of people go to churchy places. We hang out with churchy people. We like to wear churchy things. Yet they believe nothing. Yet they say nothing at all. Listen, you can't be no undercover agent for the Lord, right? You understand? You can't be hiding out in your closet. Don't nobody know what you believe. That's not the way that the Lord designed it. In fact, Jesus himself said, you shall be witnesses unto me everywhere. You can't be no witness with your mouth shut. Hiding out in your closet, don't nobody know what you believe. Just so that you think what? They're going to think you're intelligent? You, you say nothing at all? Your silence suggests, our silence suggests we have sold him for their acceptance. Don't say nothing else about Judas selling them out for no $221. We traded them for a spot at the lunch table. We sold them out for what? An, an invite to the bowling team? Your silence screams because on Sunday we're in here worshiping. On Sunday we're a Christian, but on Monday you're just one of the fellas. How could I go to school with you and you not tell me? How could I go to work with you every single day and you not tell me? Our kids played soccer together for the last five years. You couldn't face me. You sit at my table. You ate with me and my wife. I invited you into my house. You knew that I am dead and dying in my sins and you couldn't tell me. All the while you hoarding your cure for my sin. You say nothing. You save, but you silent. You keep your cure for my sin hidden away. And you sneak off in a corner and praise the Lord. I'm lost, but you won't tell me. That's not how it's supposed to be. Once Peter's perception begin to align with the reality of who Jesus really was. He did not remain silent. Verse 16, And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen, my question to you this morning is, do you love others enough to just proclaim him to them? When your perception of who Jesus is and what it is that he's done for you begins to align with the reality of who he really is and what it is that he has really done for you, you won't be able to help but proclaim him to others. That love is just going to spew out of you. Do you love him enough? Do you love others enough to tell them about Jesus? To share the cure for their sin with him, with them? Do you love them enough? So we'll listen, Travis, man, I, I love people a whole lot. I mean, I love others. I do a lot of things 
for other people, but it's just, it's just really hard to talk about Jesus. Like, it's just, it's really hard, right? It's not really acceptable where we're at in the workplace to proclaim him. I would suggest to you that your perception of what it is that he's done is not in line, is not in a line with what it is that he's really done. Either he is the only way to the Father, the only way to have forgiveness of sins, or he's not. When your perception fits the reality, it's just going to spew out of you. You won't be able to contain it. Like maybe, maybe some things have happened in your life. And maybe you've had a rough go recently. And you've lost sight just of who he really is. Maybe you had it, but you just begin to lose sight. It's became distorted with maybe other people's opinions or whatever, the workplace or life or teenagers. I get it. I understand. If that's you, would you be willing just to come this morning? Just beg God that he realigns your perception with the reality. Maybe you say, Travis, man, I, I have a pretty good perception, man. But I just have lost sight of just all he's done for me in my life. It's been a long time ago since I've got saved. Well, a lot of things have happened in between there. If that's you, would you be willing to come? Just beg him to remind you of all that he's done. Could he renew your perception, renew your love for him this morning? But listen, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, dude, I've never really even heard about Jesus. Like, I know very little, if anything. Can I just take a second and just talk to you directly, right? Don't just block everybody else out. Block everything that your future, your eternity may depend on this. Can I holler at you just for a second? God loves you, right? Listen, God created everything in the world. Everything that you see, all the things that you can't see, he created it all. He even created you and he created me. The Bible tells us in Genesis that we were created in his image. Why would he create us in his image? Why? We, he could have made anything infinitely more awesome, so we think. But he created us in his image, right? He made us. Think about it. Who are the people you want to hang out with, right? Like people that you have things in common with, right? God created you because he desires to have a relationship with you. Listen, but there's a problem. The Bible tells us all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. You understand? Like our sins separate us from God, right? There is a barrier, so to speak, if that's easier for you to picture, between us and God. And our sins have built that barrier, making it impossible for us to have that relationship that he desires, that you need. Because the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. And listen, it's not, it's not just like a physical death. That's part of it. But it's talking about an eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. And listen, I don't, I don't know what you've heard about hell. I really don't even care up to this point because I know my Bible tells me that hell is a place of endless torment. And that's bad news. 
But praise God, the rest of the story is that God sent his only son, Jesus, to this earth. Because he loves you so much. Right? The book of John says that God loves you so much that he sent his only son to the world. And then if you just believe in him, you won't perish, but you can have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to this earth. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He died a death on the cross. He was buried, and he rose again, conquering death and hell, conquering your punishment, my punishment for our sin. And that's great news. The Bible goes on to tell us it's a gift. The only thing we have to do to accept this gift, right, is just accept it. Right? You have to believe that, Jesus, that God sent Jesus and then confess to him that you are a sinner and that you believe such. And if you've never done that, and I just want to give you that opportunity this morning before we leave. Right? So if I could just have everybody's head bowed. And man, if, you, if you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus... If you couldn't say honestly to yourself right now, like, Travis, listen, I know that if I were to die, if something were to happen, I would spend a home in heaven. Listen, if you can't get that straight, why not get that straight right now? You could just say a real simple prayer to yourself. Confessing your sin to him. Confessing your belief in Jesus to him. It could say something like this. God, I know that I'm a sinner. And God, right now, I pray that you would, just, you would just come, come into my life, forgive me of my sins. God, I believe that you sent your son to die for my sins. I don't understand it all, God. I don't know it all. But the best way that I know how, I invite you into my heart to be Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.